In our opinion, our Navajo customers have been some of the most pandemic ready in the country. Welcome to episode 435 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. This is Rob Marcatilio McCracken here at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. This week on the podcast, Christopher talks with Catherine Nicolau, External Affairs and Marketing Manager for Sacred Wind, a rural local exchange carrier in northwest New Mexico that has been focused on serving the Navajo Nation communities there. She shares the history of Sacred Wind, from buying copper infrastructure from CenturyLink 13 years ago in a region where just 26% of the households had internet access, to its 400 miles of fiber infrastructure today, allowing it to bring broadband to more than 92% of those living there. Catherine tells Christopher how the company has had to rely on the full array of technologies to bring broadband access to families in a large area with particular geographic and topographic challenges, from citizens' broadband radio service to TV white space to infrared to fixed wireless and, of course, fiber to the home. They talk about what it means to Sacred Wind subscribers that the provider has never raised prices and the work it's been doing during the pandemic to make sure everyone gets and stays connected. Now here's Christopher talking with Catherine. Welcome to another episode of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Christopher Mitchell at the Institute for Local Self-Reliance up in St. Paul, Minnesota. Today I'm speaking to someone who is quite a bit warmer than me, uh, Catherine Nicolau, who is the External Affairs and Marketing Manager at Sacred Wind, an ISP in New Mexico. Welcome to the show. Hi, Chris. Thank you so much for having us on. It's a pleasure to be here. Yes, I'm, I've, I've been aware of the work that you all have been doing for many, many years at this point. And um, I'm really excited to finally get a chance to um, learn more about it directly and, and share your story with our audience. Uh, but let's start by just telling you, what is Sacred Wind? So Sacred Wind Communications, we are actually an incumbent local exchange carrier in the state of New Mexico. And we are 13 years old now, so we're a teenager, um, and we're growing so fast, it's so exciting. But the company started in 2006, and what happened was our CEO, John Bedell, uh, actually was the CEO of, of Quest or CenturyLink, um, and he decided to leave that position and start his own rural local exchange carrier, his own telecommunications company, specifically to address the needs of the Navajo people in Northwest New Mexico. Um, and so we actually bought territory from, uh, we had to do a, a loan with the USDA um, and it was an infrastructure loan. And so we bought the territory from Quest. Um, it's about 3,200 square miles. We have 22 or parts of 22 Navajo chapters in our service territory. 98% um, of our customers are Navajo. And so um, our entire business model is built around our customers and what they need and how we can get them service, the, the highest quality telecommunications, um, but at, a, at an affordable rate. Um, and so, so that's a little snapshot of, of who we are. And it seems like you're really infused with a Navajo spirit as well. I mean, it's something that is very much part of the identity of the company, it seems like. You know, it, it really is. And, and, and that's, that's, that's because of the founders of the company. Um, and so b basically the fact that we provide service to the Navajo people, we very much respect, we very much honor the, the people that we serve. It's part of being New Mexican, really. I mean, you, you can't help but um, 
just just love the cultures that we have here in New Mexico. And there's so many pueblos and so many tribes. And so, you know, we specifically um, the 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 sacred wind. Our logo has, um, I believe, it's the the sacred mountains on it. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of history in there, and so we very much are aligned with the beauty of the people that we serve, the area that we serve, and just the beauty of New Mexico. You know, my next question was already, I was phrasing it in my head and I was going to say, describe for me Northwestern New Mexico, but you're not allowed to say beautiful. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, so, right. That's all I can <laughs> What is Well, this? as long as everybody knows it's beautiful. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, um, you know, Northwest New Mexico is, it, the terrain is, is pretty difficult. In, in our service territory, for example, there are about five mountains and chains or ridges one of which that's pretty famous is Mount Taylor. It's a sacred mountain. It is the second highest mountain in New Mexico. It's about 13,000 feet high. Um, and so another uh, mountain range is the Chusca Mountains that go air, they're from, they go from Arizona into New Mexico. Um, we have n- mountain ridges in the northeastern part of our territory. Um, there's the sandstone mountains in Pine Hill and Iambito. Um, the, there's hogbacks, ridges, and then there's also volcanic um, cliffs everywhere, which makes it difficult, especially <laughs> for fiber. Um, and so it's a very interesting terrain. And you use all manner of technology then in order to get out to your customers. Yeah. So what we found was we had to become technology agnostic. Um, and so we obviously, when we built or when we bought the territory from CenturyLink, it was the old copper wiring. And now keep in mind, we still maintain that copper wiring because there are customers or or households in our service territory that don't have access to electricity. Mm -hmm. Side note, it's 2020. That's not acceptable. Yes. And and certainly not unusual um, in, in many native areas. It's an area that desperately needs more investment around the country. Exactly. And so we, of course, keep up the the maintenance of that copper wire because with copper facilities, they are able to have access to emergency 911. Um, So we have copper. We have, I think it's about um, 400 miles of fiber. Our entire network is backed by fiber. And then, of course, we have a very robust, at one point, it was the most robust fixed wireless network in the country. Now, some of the bigger companies are getting more into fixed wireless. So I don't know if we can say that, but it's a very robust fixed wireless network. Um, and so we, I mean, we're like, we, we've looked at uh, infrared technology. We've trialed TV white space technology. Right now, we're trialing 2.5 gigahertz spectrum. Um, you name it, we will look at it. So we're definitely technology agnostic. And are you able to deliver a, sort of a common set of services at similar price points uh, as you're offering services then? Or is it kind of over the map, depending on what technologies are available in that area? It's all the same. So, I mean, I think it, it really the, the area that we serve, we're very cognizant and aware of the fact that there are low income individuals. And so we we want to get them the service and we don't have a difference in pricing if if, if it kind of depends on just the megs so if somebody subscribes to 15 megs versus 25 megs or 50 megs then that's where the price difference will be but mm-hmm. we do have to keep it low so that our customers can take advantage of it but not too low obviously because where we're not able to stay in business um, but it's all the same the pricing's all the same across the board Wow. Okay. One of the things I think I recall from a previous time I heard your CEO talking was something about never having raised prices. Is that correct? Correct. We actually try to lower our prices. Yeah. That's, that's very, very important to us. Again, that goes back to our different business model. So 
a larger company perhaps, you know, has, has a different focus. Our focus is how do we get this high quality telecommunication service at an affordable price at affordable rates um, and working with our customers and making sure that, that they can, that they can afford that. And so we do not raise our rates. We haven't raised our rates. We actually find ways to lower our rates. We, especially during COVID, we are working with um, families that have children doing remote learning right now, and we're offering discounts to them so that they can, you know, not just survive, but hopefully thrive during this pandemic. Well, I, I think that brings up a challenge that you've had with uh, trying to incorporate the Lifeline program into your work uh, because of some of the overhead and challenges that are part of that program. It sounds like uh, maybe <laughs> it made it more difficult for you to achieve the goals of it. Yeah, I think most recently, one of the biggest challenges was when the FCC decided that, you know, 25 meg is the speed that they ha- that a customer has to subscribe to in order to get the Lifeline discount. Um, you know, in theory, it makes sense. We understand what they want to do is make sure they can they have enough bandwidth to do some good stuff with it, right? To, to be able to utilize it efficiently, effectively. But the problem that we run into is when a customer can't afford 25 meg, um, they just can't afford it. And they oftentimes in our service territory will call in and say, you know, I can only afford 10 meg. I can only afford 15 meg. And again, we we don't raise our prices. We provide it at, at, a, at an affordable rate. But again, we can't offer it to the point where there's no co- no cost at all. I mean, we still have to keep the lights on and keep people employed. So there's that there's that that connection there that that was lost and some it's a bit discriminatory for people who are very low income. And so what have you ended up doing then here? Are you just basically I mean, <laughs> you know, it's it's sort of like the situation where you're already trying to provide a low rate and now that that COVID's come along, what have you done in order to be able to manage uh, even lower rates and offering discounts and things like that? In the beginning, you know, in March, we uh, took the FCC's Keep Americans Connected pledge. And that was a pledge that a lot of providers signed on to, I'm sure you're aware, but it, it, it said that companies would not disconnect for lack of payment. Um, so we definitely signed on to that. So we, we we don't disconnect customers if they're unable to pay because of financial difficulty. So, you know, if we think about that, the, the effect that, that has on companies, we, again, still have to be able to, to, to provide the service and, and turn on the lights and pay people, but we're not getting as much back. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, we have uh, added more customers Um Inside and outside our territory since March, we have 500 new broadband subscribers, but we are offering discounts for people who have children that are doing remote learning. We've done upgrades for free. Back in March, anybody who wasn't at 25 meg, we are one of the, we're one of a handful of telephone companies in the country that are completely, we're entirely IP based, which is really cool because when the pandemic hit, we were just able to, at the flip of a switch, turn people up to 25 meg for no extra cost whatsoever. Mm-hmm. In our opinion, our Navajo customers have been some of the most pandemic ready in the country. You know, the ones that we serve thanks to our network. But we work with what we have and what we can, and we just do our best for our customers. Have you had to do upgrades in order to meet new demand? I mean, this is one of the things I've I've heard from a lot of WISPs, uh, even bigger companies. I, everyone seems like they've had to accelerate investments in, in higher capacity and things like that. Oh, yeah. On a monthly basis. It has a lot to do with the fact that we have wonderful leadership, too. But our our, our executive level here at Sacred Wind, I would say about 
they were 13 years old, maybe about seven years ago, they knew looking into the future that without knowing about the pandemic, that customers were going to be wanting more and more bandwidth for different things. I mean, if we look at like the internet of things, for for example, you know, that may not necessarily be a thing right now on the Navajo Nation, but in general, customers are going to want more bandwidth to do more with it. So about seven years or so ago, we started to build a network that would be scalable and so, but it is, it's a constant, it's a constant thing on a monthly, on a yearly basis. We're spending quite a lot of money to make sure that we can keep up with it, keep up with that, that demand. One of the things that you provide, which is sort of fascinating. I mean, you know, you look at your website, you look at the services that you offer and it's, it's pretty standard in terms of, um, oh, like, you know, we offer internet service and these speeds. And, and by the way, if you need a solar generator you know, along with uh, you know, internet source, we do that too. So how did you get into the, the solar, uh, the solar array um, down there? Well, it's, it's a really, that was a project that I personally worked on and it's really near and dear to my heart. Um, in the beginning, when the company was established, our CEO identified, or he knew just from mapping, um, that there were probably about 1,200 homes in our 3,200 square mile territory that didn't have access to electricity. So since 2006, it has been a mission of Sacred Winds to make sure we get them telecommunications, even though they don't have uh, electricity. And so they've always been a part of our planning. And then we came up with the solar program probably about four or five years ago. We decided that we would offer a solar panel that would go outside of the home, and um, we'll we would collect charge... more light that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, not not inside, I guess. So, but it sits instead of sitting on the home or, or like on a roof or something, mm-hmm. it's just on the side of the home. ground mounted. Yeah. Mm-hmm, oh, ground. sure. Thank you. And That's so... it's a very important distinction. I don't. Many people don't understand how much that changes the operations. It's so much easier to deal with them. Yeah, and we you know we had to look at it in terms of of making sure that it is um, stable too because there's high winds in New Mexico, mm-hmm. so it's it's very stable and it goes in the ground next to the home, whether it's a hogan or just a regular house or whatever it is. We don't charge the customer for that solar unit, so whatever that cost is, which is about fifteen hundred per solar unit, we don't we don't we don't charge the customer that fifteen hundred. So we go out there and we install the solar unit. We hook them up with telephone and high-speed internet, whatever they've ordered, and they just pay for their service on a monthly basis, whether they order 25 megs and a telephone line or they don't want telephone, they have their cell phone, they just want a high-speed internet. And they just pay like every other Sacred Wind customer. But this solar unit has the ability to power up a laptop and a small lamp so that there's some lighting. Um, And there's a story that's really a beautiful story about a family on the Navajo Nation and the children had to move to Crown Point to live with their grandparents because their grandparents had electricity. The kids couldn't get online. The kids couldn't do homework. So they moved in with their grandparents. And then the parents decided they, they, they ordered our solar um, unit and they got high-speed internet. And the kids came back to live with the parents. And the parents told us, you guys helped us reunite our family again. And it, it just almost brought tears to my eyes. It was just so beautiful. And so, so that is a program that's near and dear to our heart and, and it really helps our customers and they're so grateful. Yes. I mean, that is a, is a very powerful story. Um, and it, um, is not in any way undermined by the fact that uh, we also need to do something about making sure there's proper investments in Indian country around, around the United States. Absolutely. No, i I think that that story is really important because it's a reminder of how, this isn't an abstract issue of just being able to stream Netflix. Um, you know, this is this is a, something that's just 
it's even before the pandemic started. I mean, this story predates the pandemic, to be clear. It does. Yeah. It does. Absolutely. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. And I think a lot of times we downplay the fact, the fact that, or not downplay, but we don't find importance when people are doing Netflix right on high speed internet. But I think since going through this pandemic, um, you know, mental health issues are huge right now. And if somebody is watching something positive that lifts their spirits on Netflix <laughs> By using, you know, using their high speed internet for that, if that brings them joy for that one hour or 60 minutes, um, you know, that's also extremely important to people. But of course, our focus is economic development is is allowing children, you know, we, we always talk about or I talk about how where I sit right now in Albuquerque, New Mexico, my children have access to the internet. And I'm so grateful for that 45 minutes from where I am. There are children on, in Tohajali on the Navajo Nation that may not have access to the internet. And that is unacceptable in 2020. So much needs to be done at the federal level, at state mm -hmm. levels. We just need to figure out how to work together as an industry and as a country and fix these problems. So we we have nine free educational Wi-Fi hotspots on the Navajo Nation, and we're going to be putting up more. Um, and so that's nice because people people can then drive to the Wi-Fi hotspot and do their homework, as we've seen on the news, right? People have kids at Burger King and Taco Bell, but it is a Band-Aid. It is a Band-Aid. So we're, we're happy to do it, but more needs to be done. So we're never in this position again, because who knows what else is going to happen, right? What other kind of global issue will affect us? And we need to get these things de uh, dealt with and fixed and get the get the service there. Absolutely. And I... I Absolutely agree with your defense of Netflix. I've I've done it many times myself in terms of having Netflix is something that will knock thousands of dollars uh, off a property if it's not there or if it is there. It's something that um, you know is is very important as a signifier to be the ability to entertain yourselves, particularly in, when we're locked down. Um, but you said something that uh, there's two things I wanted to note. Um, one was that for people who aren't aware, the Navajo Nation is very large and extends well beyond New Mexico. And so yes. you're talking about the Navajo Nation in Northwest um, New Mexico. And so people need to make sure they're aware that there's um, a lot of uh, families outside of that that are not <laughs> incorporated because you, you mentioned that you have such good coverage of the Navajo Nation within New Mexico. No, um, thank you. Yeah, ours is just in the northwest part of of New, of, of New Mexico. Yeah, right. And then the other thing was you mentioned the, the mental health, and I feel like it's really worth noting um, that that there's also um, tele mental health now. I've talked about this on a couple of previous shows with um, with um, Deb Sosha and others. Um, it's really important that people realize there's really great tools that are available out there. And I just know several people who have used them and nobody would ever know that they were, you know, using them, uh, those sorts of tools. And that's why I encourage people to, to really um, take advantage of those sorts of things, particularly in these stressful times. I think even, you know, maybe mental telehealth could also include, you know, a, a Navajo grandmother being able to get on Zoom or Skype mm -hmm. and talk to her grandchild, you know, that's telehealth, that connection right there to see each other. Um, that's tele telemental health in some ways. So it's, it's just so important. It's so important. You know, and the other thing I want to mention, Chris, is when, when Sacred Wind started back in 2006, um, in, within our service territory, 26% of the homes in our service territory had access to telephone service, just, you know, landline, they had access to emergency 911, only 26%. Right. One out of no four families. <laughs> right. So, and nobody had access to high-speed internet. Now in 2020, Sacred Winds, our service, our customers, 90% of them 
have access to some of the highest speeds of broadband on tribal lands found anywhere. We were the first to um, introduce 100 megs of high-speed internet on tribal lands. And we do this in, in NHAs, which are Navajo Housing Authority developments, where it's a cluster of homes. Um, but we're also doing this in the sparsely populated areas too. We're not for, we're, and we just actually have a project that is going to hook up eight homes that have never had telecommunications ever. Mm-hmm. And now they'll have up to, up to, actually up to a gig of high-speed internet. So it's just, it's exciting. Yes. It's a, it's a reminder that we are making progress. It sometimes feels slow, but. It does yeah. feel slow sometimes. Yes. But thanks to, to shows like this too, you know, it gets the word out when we hear about what other people are doing in other parts of the country. I think it does. It's very exciting for the industry. Well, I think I should take credit for most of the advances in recent years. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was curious, we've been doing work to um, look at uh, different uh, networks that are um, uh, run by Native nations, uh, tribal mm-hmm. networks. And in Sacred Wind, it obviously identifies strongly with the Navajo Nation, but it's owned by individuals, not the Navajo Nation in general. And I'm curious if, if you identify as a tribal ISP or kind of how you, you think about that. I mean, technically, we, we're not a tribal ISP at all. We're a privately owned New Mexico-based company that provides service um, on, on tribal lands. However, something that's really exciting is that we have what's called an employee stock ownership program. So it's an ESOP. Right now, it's about 65% of our employees are Navajo. So the majority of our employees are Navajo. And in about seven to 10 years, the, the, the goal that we're working towards is to have the employees own the company, have the majority shares of the company. So in seven to 10 years from now, if we, you know, when we still, we still will have a majority of Navajo employees, in a, in a sense, it'll be Navajo owned by those, by, by all employees, but a majority of Navajo employees. Um, and that's something very exciting because our, our Navajo employees you know, that we have in, in, we have Navajo employees in our customer service department, our engineering department, um, running our network operations center. And they take so much pride, especially um, our customer service representatives who are able to speak Navajo to our customers. And they know our customers where they live. They know their Mm -hmm. families. Um, It's very beautiful. So that's how we identify. That's wonderful. I mean, I, I, I put a lot of stock in that, the ability to answer the phone call, uh, you know, with the appropriate, even even just the appropriate accent you know, yes, is, a, is an improvement over what many people have to deal with. So let me ask you then, the, the last thing I want to ask you about was the, the Connect America Fund. So um, you've uh, received an award through that process. I, I think it was the, uh, the, the round with the auction, right? You must have participated in the um, CAF2 auction. Is that right? Yes, we did participate in the CAF2 auction, and we're the only New Mexico company to have won, the only RLEC in New Mexico that won. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was uh, about eight additional Navajo chapters will be reached with our service. And so we're in the process of getting to those customers and building out that network. It's additional chapters that kind of outline our service territory. Right. So they're non-contiguous. I was looking at your map, and that's so those are the new areas then. Yes, okay. yes. So those are the new areas. And so we're really excited to get service out there. Uh, we have to market it a little bit, um, let the chapters know. We have really good relations with the the, the council members at the at different chapters, the chapter presidents and vice presidents. Um, so it's, it's a lot of um, communication with them. So, but yeah, we're very excited. So we're going to be able to meet, I can't remember the number of customers that we've estimated, um, but it's about eight chapters uh, in addition to, in addition to what we already 
where we already offer service. How has it been as a small company dealing with that? I mean, we're about to see this, the Ardolf auction. And, you know, I think a lot of us are curious to see what happens. But, but just give me the perspective of a, a small ISP having to deal with these massive programs. How, how has it been navigating them? I was floored by the amount of resources it required from us. <laughs> um, we, really, we really planned ahead of time. Uh, we put a lot of people on it to be able to bid. Um, and, and it was a really new experience for us, but we have wonderful, capable people at Sacred Wind. Um, and, and it just, it did, it took a lot of employees from a lot of different departments. Um, we, I will say that we had a really good experience when we had to communicate with the FCC, when we had questions with the FCC. Um, and so there was a direct line where we could say, Hey, we need help on this. We don't understand this, but for the most part, it just took a lot of planning in the, in the beginning to get ready for everything, put all the timelines together, let everybody know what we're doing and what's expected. And ultimately we were able to win some areas. We didn't win everything that we bid on, um, but we did win some areas. And it's it's a great way to, to extend, extend, extend service and expand in our area. So yeah, so it, it'll be interesting to see how this Ardoff auction goes. It's a huge one. It's huge. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm fascinated to see how it goes. Are, are you planning on bidding again or were there territories that were relevant for you? I don't know that I'm able to talk about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, I suppose if I look through the list of people that have qualified, that you would be one of those um, in there then. I know there's a quiet period and things like that. So, right, yeah. And yeah. I'm not sure what those dates sure. are, but, but we're always, if there's an yeah. opportunity for us to look at expanding our service um, into mm -hmm. more areas, into more families, we are right there looking at how we can do that. Yeah. So is there anything else that we should talk about before we end the show? Oh, I know there's one thing that I wanted to mention. So recently, Sacred Wind Communications was awarded a $6 million grant from the USDA RUS through their Reconnect uh, Award Series of grants. So we're really excited to be able to provide fiber to the home um, in, in Sierra County, New Mexico. And um, it's actually a partnership with the Rural Electric Co-op in the area. And it's the first partnership of its kind in the state of New Mexico. So a partnership between a rural telecommunications company and a rural electric co-op. And I think that, you know, we're very excited about it because Sacred Wind is very much about partnering, right? We're, we only have 48 employees. We're what I consider a relatively small company. Mm -hmm. um, we can't be everywhere, right? We, and, and I don't think people want us to be everywhere, but you know, we do get, we, we do want to be able to provide more and, and be there for New Mexicans in general. We don't just look at Northwest New Mexico. We look at this in terms of our entire state. How can we be of service to our entire state? And so we were able to, to enter into a partnership with this rural electric co-op. And again, it's the first one in our state. And so we're really excited about that just because it's an example, right? It's an example of how you can, and, and rural electric co-ops, as we all know, are have already gotten into the broadband industry. And that's super exciting because we all have the same goal. It's to get people connected. Right. And so that's absolutely beautiful. And so there's been some growing pains, I think, across the country, in every state, you know, rural electric co-ops wanting to do it on their own and they absolutely can. And, and, and they're going to have so much wonderful luck with that. Um, but there's also the other side of, of partnering and being able to say, you know what, maybe I can't do this on my own. Maybe I do want to have a partnership with a company like Sacred Wind or, or so many other companies that have the expertise, right? We have the network operations center. We have the, the telecom engineers, we have the experience. We know how to market it. We know how to maintain a network, how to build a network. 
I mean, it's, it's extremely complicated. And so I think it's a, it's a good message for people to try that partnership. You know, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, but it is possible because we're doing it and we're so excited for it. That's, it's excellent to hear because I feel like electric co-ops do bring so much to this opportunity. And at the same time, you know, we know that many of them have hesitations about jumping into this space. So it's really good to hear that, that you're working uh, with them in the Sierra and uh, um, be excited to see what happens from there. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful getting a sense of all of the things that you do. Thank you so much, Chris. That was Christopher talking with Catherine Nicolau. We have transcripts for this and other podcasts available at muninetworks.org slash broadbandbits. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org with your ideas for the show. Follow Chris on Twitter. His handle is at communitynets. Follow muninetworks.org stories on Twitter. The handle is at muninetworks. Subscribe to this and other podcasts from ILSR, including Building Local Power, Local Energy Rules, and the Composting for Community podcast. You can access them anywhere you get your podcasts. You can catch the latest important research from all of our initiatives if you subscribe to our monthly newsletter at ILSR.org. While you're there, please take a moment to donate. Your support in any amount keeps us going. Thank you to Arnie Hughesby for the song Warm Duck Shuffle, licensed through Creative Commons. This was episode 435 of the Community Broadband Bits podcast. Thanks for listening.